Hi everyone, I'm Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm here today with Rusty Turner, the editor of uh, the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And today we have the opportunity to visit with Kelly Kraut of uh, uh, District House District 90. Um, uh, and uh, she is running as a Democrat uh, in that race, uh, which will be on the ballot on November 3rd. And uh, Kelly, uh, welcome to our interview. And if you don't mind, just starting us off by uh, describing a little bit of where House District 90 is. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me, first of all. So House District 90 includes the majority of Lowell and parts of Southern Rogers. So anything south of New Hope, but on the western side of 71 Business is going to be at my district. It goes as far south as County Line Road in Springdale, and that road shoots all the way over to the west out towards Heifel. And so we have a chunk of Cave Springs, the southern part. It sort of looks like a boot, <laughs> if you will. So kind of right, Lowell's right in the center of it. Okay. Is the airport in this district? The airport is just outside of it, I believe. Just outside, but it gets close. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, uh, let me just uh, uh, tell people that uh, you are uh, currently a, uh, studying social work at the University of Arkansas, that you're an uh, advocate for foster care and adoption, and that you've written some children's books, as I understand it, about, uh, about those subjects. Um, and, uh, and I believe this is your first run for public office. Yes, yes sir. Okay, well tell me just a little bit about your thought process for making the decision to run and uh, and just dive in with any particular issues that you think are important to uh, to your campaign but also to the to the district. Okay, sure. So I like you said I'm a graduate student in social work and that really got me much more interested in politics in the last year and a half or so than I was prior. I really have had a mission to become a very informed voter this year and know who everybody was on my ballot and understand who I was voting for and why. And I'm kind of a go big or go home all in or all out kind of person. So when I got kind of into it, I realized, well, shoot, there's not a Democrat running in my district. And so I looked around and I waited and nobody stepped up to do it. And so I said, well, gum, I'm going to step up and do that. I care about some more progressive policy being passed. I feel like the vulnerable in our district are not getting a very loud voice. And what I'm hearing is that from the more conservative side is, hey, our, our conservative voices aren't conservative enough. And I'm sitting here thinking nobody's representing my voice. And I think there are a lot more left-leaning individuals in my district than some people might be led to believe. We've just not had options on the ballot. And so I wanted to be an option on the ballot because I don't think our democracy can work if you do not have a choice. So that's, that's really the main catalyst for me deciding to run. Okay, uh, so uh, I, I'm assuming that you're, you're not just about giving them a choice, but, but you want them, you want to be that choice. Absolutely. Um, uh, so what is it, uh, you know, Benton County and certainly this district uh, is, uh, has uh, uh, been fairly strong Republican territory um, what do you feel like uh, is out there that uh, the dynamics of this that, that you, makes you feel like a, a Democrat has an opportunity to, to win this seat? I think a Democrat absolutely has a chance to win this seat. Like I said, I think part of the issue is they have not had a choice on the ballot. This seat has run unopposed 
several years. There was a candidate in 2018, but I feel like I've put on um, a bit more of a campaign than what was presented there. And I think I've run a unique campaign that has shown a very authentic version of myself, which I think people find refreshing. I think people are kind of sick of politicians and I'm not, I'm not a politician. I'm just a normal person that's just being myself in the campaign. And so far that's getting some really good feedback. So I have actually run in pretty conservative circles most of my time here in Northwest Arkansas. And so I think I will get a, a good chunk of those votes. And if, if I remember right, this is the, uh, this is the uh, race where uh, uh, the incumbent, uh, Jana De La Rosa, uh, was defeated in the primary mm -hmm. and, uh, and you have a Republican opponent in the general election and uh but but no incumbent uh so uh, uh kind of a an interesting little twist there on on the uh how this is playing out so uh so in terms of the the issues that you feel like are important to the district uh, can you can you run through some of those that you feel like as a as a legislature legislator as you get elected uh, uh if you get elected that uh, you would you would tackle Right. Well, when I'm elected, I absolutely want to focus on education. I feel like our public education system is being asked. They've always been asked to do the impossible. And right now we have double and sometimes tripled their work. We've got to be better funding our education system. We've got to be better compensating our teachers. I mean, did you realize that when kids are getting quarantined at school, those teachers are still having to provide content for those kids who are at home, which is entirely different from the online schooling that some of the virtual students are doing. So their, their work is astronomical. So they just need more support. They need better compensation. They need better funding. I'm also, of course, very concerned about healthcare. We have a large chunk of our population here in District 90 that does not have access to healthcare. And in the middle of a pandemic, I find that to be a pretty important thing to have. So those are two of the really big things that I would like to advocate for. Okay. And uh, as far as uh, I know, COVID has, I'm sure, prevented you from running a, a traditional campaign, so to speak, uh, uh, um, as far as you know, not having near as many public events that you can go to, that sort of thing. But what do you hear from people uh, out there that uh, you feel like uh, are those things that, that convinced you that there are people not being represented uh, uh, by the conservative voices in, in Little Rock. Right. Well, COVID has forced me into campaigning in the style that I'm campaigning in, which is largely on social media. And I, I get feedback every day from, oh my goodness, I didn't know somebody like you was running in my area. I didn't know there were people like this in Arkansas. I don't feel so alone now. So I think there are a lot of people who have maybe been afraid to be a loud Democrat because they think the area is very red. When in reality, I have entire neighborhoods up here where there's a Kelly sign up every other house. Like I really feel like there are a lot of people up here that are going to support voting blue this fall. Okay. And, and how does that translate into the, the issues that you would be uh, addressing in the legislature? Uh, as, as far as the issues you feel like they're not, they're not feeling that representation. Right. Well, I just feel like those people care about the same things I do. They care about education. I've had so many teachers reach out to me and say, goodness, thank you so much for standing up for teachers. Because what we're seeing on the other 
platforms are really focused on, you know, cutting taxes. And these are things that don't benefit teachers and people who are serving our kids and serving in our communities. So, um, Kelly, I want to talk a little bit about uh, education first. You, you said that's something that's very important to you and you want to increase funding. You want to uh, um, uh, get, uh, get more, more income for teachers. So, um, what do you see as the threats to public school funding and, and how, how as a lawmaker will you address that? I mean, do you have any specific ideas about, uh, about how, to, uh, uh, how to shore up uh, public education? I do have some ideas as far as threats to public funding. I mean, I guess what, how I'm hearing that question is like, how do you know that there's a big issue? I'm seeing that, you know, a lot of teachers are asking, I haven't seen it as much this fall and I kind of feel like maybe they were told not to, but in the past I have seen teachers reaching out on Facebook, reaching out on social media. Hey, can you provide this for my classroom? Can you be a book fairy and can we get donations? And I see teachers literally at the store buying things for their classrooms. And I just feel like teachers should have the resources they need to do their job well without having to pull it out of their own pocket, sometimes needing an extra job to make ends meet. In the last session, we passed some massive tax cuts for our wealthiest Arkansans, which drastically cut our state's revenue that could have easily been funneled in to supporting teachers better, especially during a pandemic. Like, how about we give them the PPE that they need to be able to be safe with the students? So I think there's some rearranging of the budget for sure that could prioritize our most, you know, important people, which are our children, the future of our state. Okay. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the, the pandemic and the state's response to it. So what is your evaluation of how the state has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic and what, if anything, would you do, would you have done differently or would you like to see be done differently uh, as the state response? Yeah, I think the state responded a little slowly. I am, I'm happy with the governor and proud that he did issue the statewide mask mandate. I wish it had been done sooner. I think that could have saved lives, but I understand the intense pressure he was under. I don't envy being the one to make that decision. But then sadly, after he did, we saw all these police come out and say, hey, we're not going to enforce this. And of course, if you take a trip out into the public, you're going to see plenty of people that are not wearing masks. And while he made it enforceable, it's not being enforced. And so that's been, that's been very frustrating. I have an immune compromised member of my close family. And so we are very, very cautious in how we behave. And I think that if everybody were being so cautious, we would see this trickling off a little bit more by now. Unfortunately, people don't like to change <laughs> how things are and are having a hard time accepting that this is not a normal time. We can't act like it's a normal time. Okay, um, and I, I suspect you're aware that that there were some uh, members of the legislature who who um, have taken exception to the state health department and the and the governor's handling of uh, of the pandemic under under the emergency uh, under emergency authority and um, have actually filed a lawsuit uh, 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 over that. I'm curious what your what your take is on 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 that lawsuit and whether that's something you think is necessary or is something you'd be interested in participating in. You know, I usually try to be a little more neutral in the way that I speak, but I find that lawsuit to be completely embarrassing, completely embarrassing. We are, it just makes us look silly. We need to be listening 
to doctors. This is a pandemic. If your child gets sick, I assume you take them to a doctor. If you break your leg, I assume you're going to the doctor. So all the doctors are saying, hey, let's wear a mask and protect each other. And people get mad about their freedoms and file a lawsuit. And I just, I can't even, no, I don't want to be a part of that lawsuit. Absolutely not. I want Arkansans to wear masks. And I want us to see that as not something political. I want us to see that as, wow, that is a loving and caring person who is worried about my health. And I'm going to care about their health as well and wear a mask to protect them. Okay. I think the, um, you know, the, the basic argument that some of those lawmakers are making, uh, you know, whether, whether it's within a lawsuit or, or just in a matter of public policy is um, that, you know, as this stretches on into months and into next year, um, that uh, the governor shouldn't be the only one with, with you know, kind of having the uh, uh, authority to, uh, to dictate what happens within the state and that the legislature, which you are hoping to be a member of, uh, needs to step into that role uh, to, to some extent as well. Do, do you feel like that's, that, that that ought to be the domain of the governor or, or do you feel like there is a role for the legislature to play? Uh, it's not that I don't think there's a role for the legislature to play. It's just that we are in a state of an emergency. And so the governor does have that power and I appreciate that he used it. Given the current makeup of the state's legislature, I'm kind of glad that it wasn't their vote because I'm afraid it wouldn't have been in the best interest of Arkansans. Okay, let's talk for a minute about, um, uh, We've had COVID-19 out there, but also during, you know, the same time period, we've had uh, some fairly intense uh, uh, national and local uh, protests, discussions, um, some violence about race relations and law enforcement. Um, what do you think is the role of a state legislator uh, and what would you want to do to try to affect some sort of uh, uh, change or policy positions that that deal with this upheaval and, and the issues that it has um, uh, certainly exposed, I guess would be the, the, the right word uh, uh, in our country and, 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 you know, within the state. Right. And that's, it's such a hard, it's such a hard question. It's such a hard situation that we're in. I think a big part of the problem is that our law enforcement is being asked to do so many things that are outside of the scope of their profession. And so police are not social workers. They're not healthcare workers. They are not education specialists. They're not medical professionals. And they're being asked to do so much. I think we need to take some off of their plate. If we could fund some social programs, like locally here, we've got a crisis stabilization unit that specializes in mental health care. And so things that might have been a situation where somebody calls the police because this person is, is having a very difficult time, instead call the crisis stabilization unit and they can help get that person stabilized and get the help they need, the follow-up they need. Because what someone needs in a mental health crisis is not to be thrown in a jail cell because we don't know what else to do, but to get them actual help so that we can turn them into being healthy citizens. So it's, it's not a one there's not one thing we can do to fix this whole situation. I do think something really important we need to be doing is listening to people of color when they say this is hurtful, this is not okay. We need to listen to that. It, it 
is unfathomable to me that we continue to say, oh, no, it's not. No, there's not a race problem. Well, I'm a white girl. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that because that's not what I'm hearing from communities of color. And so we need to be listening more than we're talking. And I think we need to be working on funding programs that can help with some of the issues that are adding on top. I think that has gotten kind of caught up in a, um, you know, a, a simplified term, which is defund the police, um, uh, which, you know, means different thing to different people. As you're talking about funding some of those other programs, are you also talking about, you know, taking some of those resources away from law enforcement? I understand that the defund the police slogan gets people really bent out of shape, but this is a this is a movement that was started a long time ago by people of color. I'm not out to whitewash a, a movement that was not started by me, and it's not the same as abolish police. That's a completely different thing. I wish that people could look at this from the lens of this movement actually makes law enforcement's jobs easier. If they're not responding to mental health crises because another program is, if they're not involved in education so much because we've better trained social workers in that realm, that makes their job easier and they can focus on just keeping our community safe, which is their job. And I love and respect them for doing that. I am very grateful for our local law enforcement and I think that they do a great job. I'm afraid that that movement is misunderstood, but I'm not out to change the name of it because if, if you look into what they're trying to do, it, it actually would help the police. So as a, as a social worker, I mean, you, you I'm sure have a kind of a unique uh, perspective uh, just through that training. Um, how do you envision that that might work in terms of, um, you know, we, we had a, a scenario here that uh, in Northwest Arkansas where um, uh, police were injured, you know, but responding to a mental health issue, but obviously there was danger there. Right. Um, so as you as a social worker, do you want to be the first one showing up uh, for, for that, that sort well, of thing? Or? To be fair, I'm still a social worker in training, but I do think okay. that there are social workers who are trained in this specific capacity that could have maybe handled it in a different way. And I, I don't know the specific scenario that you're talking about, so I won't right. speak to details on that. But when we look at the training that social workers are required to go through to be able to do that job, it's, it's extensive and mental health is a very, very fragile thing sometimes that we're working with. And we want to be respecting the dignity of people who are in crisis and, and arresting them is not going to be the answer and is probably just going to provoke the scenario. So I would need more details on the specific scenario, but uh, would I be willing to step into a scenario if I felt thoroughly trained? Absolutely. Go ahead, Greg. You. Well, uh, I, one issue that uh, I've asked a lot of the candidates about is is the Buffalo National River. Uh, the um, uh, we've we've been going on for years now about uh, a, a hog farm that had been established there, and and uh, a large scale hog farm, and and that uh, uh, the governor had proposed a permanent moratorium within the Buffalo River watershed. Um, uh, are you familiar with that, uh, that controversy and, uh, do you have a sense of, of what you feel like ought to be done to protect the Buffalo National River? 
man, I'm going to be totally honest with you and say I am not familiar with the hog farm situation. I will have to look into that and uh, I will develop an opinion on it, I'm sure, but I don't, I don't know enough at this point to, to comment on that one. Okay, fair enough. Rusty? So um, I'm going to shift gears and ask you about another, another statewide issue. Uh, pardon the pun, we're going to talk about highways and roads, so we're going to shift gears to that. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's, a, there's a proposal on the ballot, November 3rd, uh, to to make a temporary half-cent sales tax permanent uh, to continue to fund highways and roads. Also, there's a component of it that, that gives some of that money to local governments uh, to use. Um, do you have an opinion about that? Can you tell us how you're going to vote and and just give us your opinion in, 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 um, overall on, on the state's um, highways and roads conditions? So. Yes, sir. I, I'm personally going to vote for it. I don't have a problem with it. Our roads don't fix themselves. I understand it was a temporary tax, but it wasn't going to just fix the roads and then they were going to just be fine forever. I understand the controversy and how it's been presented. And I know that people are hesitant to establish a permanent tax like in our Arkansas Constitution. I'm, I'm personally okay with it. Ultimately, it's up to the voters, but I think that it's incredibly important for our infrastructure, for our economy, that we've got good roads. We've become a tourist spot. We've got people working in areas where they're having to commute to big businesses. You know, if you live in Fayetteville and you're driving up to Bentonville for Walmart, we need those roads to be good. We need to be taking care of those. So I, I have no problem with that tax personally. I get people's issue with it. And like I said, it'll be up to the voters. Okay. Um, also on the ballot is issue two, and that's gonna, that would, if, if it passed, would change the, the restrictions uh, placed on, on people who serve in the legislature. Uh, right now, there's a there's a total limit of 16 years to serve in the legislature. This uh, proposal would make it a 12-year limit in uh, in the legislature, and then require a four-year break before you continue to serve. Do you have you formed an opinion about that one, and 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 uh, how would you vote on that, and why? I think it's very uniquely worded. Like, what do you think they're going to do on their four years off? I mean, uh, it's very it's strange to me how they've set it up, but I think that voters need to be the ones who are establishing the term limits. So I'm against term limits. If we've got somebody in office that we shouldn't have in office, voters need to vote them out. If we have somebody who's good in office, we need to keep voting for them. So I think it it should be up to the voters. I would not be in favor of term limits. Okay. All right. And then the, the third issue on the ballot has to do with the rules uh, related to how citizen-led initiatives get placed on the ballot. Um, and uh, there are critics of this of this particular proposal that says it's going to make it very much more difficult uh, to get citizen-led initiatives onto a ballot to, uh, in in front of voters statewide. And the people who are in favor of it say that um, say that it that the current system um, allows uh, a little. It depends too much on metropolitan areas. The way the system's set up. Metropolitan areas in the state um, uh, are have a greater voice than the rural areas in the state in getting measures on the ballot, and so they want to spread that out a little bit and require more signatures from more counties. Anyway, uh, do you have an opinion about that, and 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 what is it, and why? I absolutely think that citizens should be able to get their issues on the ballot. So that is my official stance on that one. I'm not as familiar with, with the signatures and how it's different between rural and metropolitan areas. Um, I want people in rural areas to be able to have the same ability to get that on there, but I do not want to make anything harder for citizens to get their voices heard. Okay. 
All right. So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, you obviously have an opponent in the uh, in the election. Are there any um, issues that you feel like are critical to to people making that decision when they go into the polling place, or this year, you know, mark their absentee ballot uh, and send it in? Um, uh, you know, what uh, you know for those voters who are trying to make that decision, uh, what what do you think are the critical uh, things that you hope they think about? Okay, no, thank you for the question. I think the most common thing that the average voter is thinking when they walk in, in my area that tends to have in the past leaned fairly conservative, is taxes and abortion. And I see that the Republican side is typically touting tax cuts, but we can look at the past session and see that those tax cuts did not benefit people like me and people like the average voter. They benefited our state's very top earners. So yes, there were tax cuts. No, they didn't help you. So I want people to understand that the tax cuts that they hear may not actually help them like I think that they would. I do think in Arkansas, in the South, people really struggle sometimes to elect someone who is on paper pro-choice. And the way that I try to talk about abortion when I'm talking with people is that I also want to see abortion rates go down. I think most people agree with that. I just have a lot of different ideas on how we can do that that does not involve legislating bodies. So if we could be talking about access to health care, access to reproductive care, access to contraception, I, I know it makes people uncomfortable, but we need to be talking about sex education. I mean, a lot of our kids just simply don't know what's going on. And the vast majority of abortions are due to unplanned pregnancies. And so the goal needs to be, let's reduce unplanned pregnancies. How can we do that? I think all of us want the same thing. We just want to go about it differently. And so I don't want people to be intimidated by me being pro-choice. I have lived my life in a very pro-life fashion. I have a lot of kids. I've adopted a lot of kids. We've served in the foster care community. I think we need to be caring for these children from the time they are born until the tomb. We've got to have a more pro-life way that we're acting throughout the lifetime. So uh, tell me just a little bit, I, I'm, I'm not a, completely familiar with your, your background in terms of the adoption and foster care um, uh, arena. Tell, tell me kind of how that, uh, how that got started and how, how that has played out in your life. Sure. So my husband and I got married pretty young and we had three little boys kind of right off the bat. And then a couple of years into our marriage, we just heard about the big need for foster homes in our area. And it's massive. There's always a shortage of foster homes. And so we decided, hey, we've got room, we've got space. This is something that we can do. And so we spent about 10 years off and on fostering children in our community. It's another one of the things that drove me to study social work and drove me to wanting to be a part of a government that could help empower families. Because while of course there are extreme scenarios where kids are in danger and need to be removed, we also saw over and over again where families simply did not have access to the resources they need to provide the quality of care required. And poverty should not be a reason children are removed from their families. It's traumatic for everyone. And so I wanna see those children supported, those families supported, the DHS workers supported. And that's just one of the things that sort of drove me into this. We did have one more biological child in that process and we've adopted three from foster care. So we have seven sons, they're all boys. Oh wow. my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun time. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of baseball cleats. Plastic, right? So. <laughs> 
I had two and they broke everything in the house. So anyway. So do you, do you feel like that's, uh, if people elect you, that that's, that's going to be a a kind of a hallmark issue for you in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to be on committees that, that uh, affect those sorts of things, uh, the, as far as foster care system and, and, uh, Department of Human Services, those sorts of things? Yes, I hope so. I, I think that I'm fairly known in the community as being an advocate for foster care and for adoption and just letting people know about the need. There, there are so many children in your kids' schools who are in foster care and you didn't even realize it. So we need more people stepping up. And while I want to support the biological families and the foster families, equally, I want to love on and support DHS. They have got such a hard job. They're another government agency, so they can be run kind of inefficiently. They need more workers. They also need more compensation. This is another one of those areas I feel the budget needs to be rearranged. We've got caseworkers coming out of college at age 22 and experiencing extreme trauma. I mean, they see some of the worst of the worst and we can't pay them what we're paying them and expect them to stick around but when we have that kind of caseworker turnover it slows everything down for these families who are working to get their children back and it's detrimental to the kids who are having to switch caseworkers every six months because they've gotten burnt out and had to leave so that is that is something i'm incredibly passionate about and would love to be a voice in the legislature for okay um as we wrap up uh, here with the last couple of minutes, uh, is there anything that we haven't asked you about that uh, you you want to uh, dive into and make sure that uh, we cover before we uh, run out of time today? Uh, sure. I would love to touch one more thing that I feel like our our district is concerned about is Democrats tend to get a bad rap for being anti-gun or anti-Second Amendment. That's not at all the case. I'm not anti-Second Amendment. We, my husband and I are gun owners. I have a huge gun safe that takes up like half of my closet, which I am a little bitter about that part, but <laughs> we do store our guns safely. What I just want us to do is keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people like domestic abusers. Arkansas chooses not to do that, and that's just unacceptable in my opinion. So I'd like to see us institute some more common sense gun laws. That does not mean take your guns. That does not mean anti-Second Amendment. It just promotes responsible gun ownership. That's what I would like to see. Okay. Uh, Rusty, anything else on your mind? No, no. I, uh, I don't have any other questions, but I do want to thank you. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. All right. We do appreciate your time. I, I certainly uh, wish you well in your uh, campaign as, as all of the candidates are out there campaigning. Uh, uh, stay safe. Yes, sir. I will. All right. Well, take care of yourself. Thank you.